Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour. Adam Candy is the company. Demond running the show. It's Cofield. We're going to talk a little UNLV basketball later this hour. We're going to try to uh, hunt down one of the assistant coaches, Barrett Peary, who's new to the staff. It's coming up in about 30 minutes. When we come out of the gates, Candy, how much of the GSW, the Warriors celebration, did you watch yesterday? Because uh, between the celebration and some of the chatter around it, my God, they are gracious winners, are they not? Yeah, I tried to watch uh, some of it, but um, my mom said that I can't watch most of what Draymond Green had to say because of the foul language, so I ended up having to turn it off. He gets a little foul mouth. He's very angry. You know, the, the sad thing is he actually, he did make, like, part of his speech was actually very nice about enjoying standing back and watching the guys who were going through, you know, winning a title for the first time, but it all gets just freaking enveloped in all the negativity and telling people to shut up. And then the other angle, I don't know why this is still, I guess it's, be, has Durant, has Durant directly fanned the flames on this whole, you know, who was driving the bus when he was there and winning titles? Has no. he done it, or has it all been from the Warrior side, and specifically Draymond? It's partially because of Draymond, but it's partially coming out of inside the NBA as well. It's coming out of the Charles Barkley crowd, right? The idea of who drove the bus. Can Kevin Durant be a bus driver for an NBA championship? Well, first of all, there's a reason that we spent so long talking about Steph Curry finally getting a finals MVP this year. His name is Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant was finals MVP when he was in Golden State. So now Steph Curry gets his. The trophy case is full. Steph Curry is a generational player. But what we get here is a back and forth between Kevin Durant and Charles Barkley. And uh, Kevin Durant called Charles Barkley a hating old head, which I have to be honest, Cofield. I feel very upset that he stole that term from you because you are you are our hating old head. <laughs> and yet right? and now we have to to share it with Charles Barkley. It doesn't feel fair. But Kevin Durant has a point here. Yeah. Kevin Durant does not need to live through all of this mess about whether he can win as the guy. I know it looks like, yeah, oh, he went and joined Golden State and Golden State had Curry and they had Thompson, they had Draymond. Well, how many championships has Golden State won since Kevin Durant left? And also, why haven't we done the same thing with LeBron James if this is how we're going to talk about Kevin Durant? Because when LeBron James went to Miami and was winning championships in Miami, nobody said, well, LeBron can't drive the bus. I remember Ray Allen hitting some big shots. I remember Chris Bosh hitting some big shots. But I don't remember any of us saying that LeBron James wasn't the bus driver in Miami, that he wasn't the guy. So why did we do it to Kevin Durant? Why are we doing it to him now when he goes to Brooklyn? And what does he get in Brooklyn? What has Kevin Durant had in Brooklyn? He went to Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving. He, like many before him, have bet on Kyrie Irving being able to stay within the realm of human beings on this planet that Kyrie Irving keeps consistently failing to do. And then he bet on James Harden. And, well, you know, James Harden didn't want to deal with Kyrie Irving and he didn't want to deal with the rest of the mess in Brooklyn. Is that Kevin Durant's fault? No, it's not. 
So I don't think Charles Barkley is necessarily a hating old head, but I can't stand the fact that we're doing this argument in the first place. Give Kevin Durant his flowers. He was the guy who drove them in the NBA Finals. That's why he was the MVP. I think the only bad thing I'll say about Durant, because you keep asking why are they doing this, because Kevin Durant responds. This is like an internet troll. Barkley wouldn't. Barkley doesn't go after people repeatedly if he doesn't get some sort of satisfaction out of it. And the fact that Durant fired back, calling him a whatever, hating old head, old hating head, what is it? Um, I mean, you know, you're giving Barkley what he wants. I think it would die if Kevin Durant just stayed off of social media and didn't respond. Yeah, we can't be the ones saying that, though. It doesn't, it, like, every message can be right, Cofield, but you got to have the right messenger. And the messenger of us, sports radio yokels, who want nothing more than for the players to engage and talk, we can't be the ones to get that message across. Like, in the end, Kevin Durant doing what he's doing, I think is only right. I think the man should be able to speak up and defend himself. Look at who he is. He's one of the five best players of his generation. Stop. I'll give a little advice. Stop punching down at Barkley, who was one of the game's all-time ring chasers. That's the great thing about this. Barkley did the same thing. He gave up on Philly, went to Phoenix with a more loaded team, and then joined Houston where they had a bunch of stars who had been there. He did the same thing so many people do, and Kevin Durant, for his career, is a better player than Charles Barkley. Stop punching down. Number four. Wait, do we have contract information on Pete DeBoer in Dallas? I thought this was like an upper body, lower body, no contract information thing in the NHL. How is there info out there on DeBoer? Adam Hill, you're fired. You're fired. You can no longer come on the show because apparently it's possible to get contract information on these guys. Uh, Pierre Lebrun is reporting. It's all Adam's fault. It's Adam's fault. There were like 50 of us at the press conference with uh, McCrubin and Cassidy and Noah, and and we simply took the answer, uh, yeah, I'm not going to really get into the deal. And Bill Foley said the same thing. He's like, it's a long deal. Yeah, It's it's, um, substantial. Like, what's the deal? No. Arash Jr., Man about town, man who covers every sport, wow. has to be the guy who gets the information for us. No. That hurts. So the information out there from Pierre LeBron is that Pete DeBoer is going to get about four and a quarter million over the course of four years from the Dallas Stars, which I think is a pretty good deal for for Pete DeBoer. So, Cofield, I'll throw it back at you. You got that answer on Bruce Cassidy from Bruce Cassidy and, and Bill Foley. Do you think Pete DeBoer got more than Bruce Cassidy? Because I don't imagine Bill Foley getting uh, getting outpaid by anybody when he wants something. So you think Cassidy, again, you uh, when you stated the deal, you're saying he got 4.25 per year, right? That is accurate. Okay. I just want to make sure the audience didn't think it was 4.25 over four-year. Four-year deal worth four point editors per season. Um, dude, I have no idea how this works. I don't. I, I assume that Cassidy got more. I assume Bruce Cassidy didn't take a job where he's not at least guaranteed four years after watching two guys get blown out in, you know, inside of what freaking three and a half seasons, whatever it was. Actually, uh, what four and a half seasons? Um, so I, I, I'm guessing he has a four or five year deal. I have no. But my, I guess my question is, why isn't the info out there? And I, maybe there are people who would respond by saying, "Well, it's none of your business." Well, it kind of is considering they've blown out coaches so quickly. But it isn't because 
Bill Foley bought a team in a salary cap league where we have to know how much the players make, right? That's all out there. We know how much every player makes. We know how long every contract is because it all has to fit into a puzzle that we understand of the salary constraints. But the one thing we've expected out of Bill Foley from the jump is that because he had a salary cap on players, he was going to pull out that giant wad of hundreds on everybody else and everything else, whether it was City National, whether it was facilities, and definitely when it comes to coaching staff. So I hope we don't find out later that Bruce Cassidy's making less than Pete DeBoer, but I got to tell you, I don't think we will. Number three. Top three stories on this Tuesday. Big Five at Five brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Give them a call, 570-9000 for legal advice. Any help you uh, you need from Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000 for Matt Hoffman and Justin Watkins. All right, news in on the legal front. Tony, uh, Tony Busby, attorney Tony Busby, says 20 of the 24 lawsuits filed against the Sean Watson have been settled. That means there's four remaining. So I would assume this would uh, help Watson's cause and uh, he'll serve, what, a one- or two-game suspension? NFL will hand down a light penalty, and we get to move on. Good news for the Browns. Lee Corso mode, not so fast, my friend. Uh, former Packers GM and uh, Twitter savant Andrew Brandt out there today saying that his read on this is that the settlement's not going to make any difference, that the NFL is still going to come down hard on Deshaun Watson because if all we need is some of the reporting that's been out there from Jenny Vrentas and others about just how lewd the conduct was from Deshaun Watson in the words of the massage therapists, that there might have been more than 60 women who were involved in this overall, just that it was a couple dozen who were willing to step forward and put their names on the lawsuit. He expects that it's still going to be significant discipline. And let's be honest here, no matter how these lawsuits were ever going to work out, the Cleveland Browns told us everything we needed to know when they structured that <laughs> craven deal that they gave him where he was only going to make $1 million in the first year. They expect he's going to get suspended for most of the year. We should, too, no matter whether he settles or not. What number of games for a suspension will create uh, create outrage? Less than a full season? I, I, really? I can't imagine how less than a full season. How are we going to How are we going to look at anything Deshaun Watson did and feel comfortable when we have deflate gate as a precedent? Right? Tom Brady got four games for squeezing the air out of footballs. And so what's going to feel good to everybody about Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson's case is one of the worst we've seen in the NFL in terms of not only how many people were involved, but what level of people were involved. How much time did the Houston Texans spend potentially enabling Deshaun Watson throughout this situation? This one runs deep. This one went on for a long time. And in the climate we are now, where the NFL has rightfully been dragged repeatedly for going too light on personal conduct, I can't imagine how Goodell is going to get away with less than a full season without catching a lot of crap. Eight-game suspension for Deshaun Watson, $25 million fine for the Texans. Does that sound realistic to me? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, that's where I'm expecting this to come in. The $25 million is that's not going to happen. There's no freaking way. No, but the eight-game suspension is absolutely where I expect this to, to land. Okay. Uh, I saw some people reacting to settling 20 of the 24, and I think for them, settling means an admission of guilt, and that's why they want him suspended for the entire year. 
Well, legally, it's not an admission of guilt, I tell you from my vast yes. experience as an attorney. <laughs> but what we do know is this. Deshaun Watson himself, at the beginning of this, when he was asked, are you going to settle these cases? Deshaun Watson said no, that he wasn't going to settle because he was going to prove his innocence. So we don't have to meet a legal standard. We can meet Deshaun Watson's own standard, that he's the one who chose to settle these. So if he chose to settle them, why? If he was innocent, why did he choose to settle 20 of the 24 cases? I think you're leaving one other important factor out of his decision to settle, and that is the NFL, I believe, behind the scenes, with no proof, of course. Just guessing that the NFL told him, settle this, and this is what you'll get. And they tried to settle as many as possible. Now, the problem is, for the NFL, there's four still looming. So if they hand down an eight-game suspension, and if these next four turn out to go the long haul, and they're absolutely horrific, then the NFL is going to look like they did in so many previous cases where they gave a light slap on the wrist to someone. Well, it... Number two. You can finish up, Candy. Sorry about that. No, I actually thought you were waiting for me on uh, to, to, to keep talking because you love the sound of my voice, but let's go to number two. Yes. Uh, Gronk's retiring, we think. We're seeing all these former football players now get deals with TV, led by $37.5 million a year for Tom Brady. Would you spend big money if you're a TV executive on Gronk? Will he be good? I wouldn't put Gronk in the booth on games, but Gronk as a studio guy? Yeah, I'm spending on that. When they have all these hours of content to fill in pregame shows, it, could there be a better guy to put out there than Gronk? Right? Like, he's got the football credibility. He's the best tight end we've ever seen. And he also has the TV chops to go out there and be the clown, right? He knows how to be the clown. It's perfect. It's exactly what TV executives want. Can Fox have Terry Bradshaw and Gronk as co clowns? No, but CBS sure as hell could add him into oh their boy. boring mix. Who do they get rid of? I don't want anyone, anyone? to get fired, but wait, say it again. <laughs> anyone? Uh, no, I'll, I'll be I'll be kind to Nate Burleson. I enjoy I enjoy Nate Burleson sometimes. Uh, but man, oh man, if and I hate to say this as a Giants fan, if we were if we were to put Phil Sims out to pasture, I, I don't think we would be losing a whole lot there. And uh, I know they'll never do this, but uh, I I personally don't gain a lot from the Boomer Esiason experience. But if you get rid of Phil Sims, who's going to really know football on that panel? That's a great point. I hadn't really considered that uh, the analytics crowd would be up in arms if we lost Phil Sims, advocate number one for the data. One more question about TV people. Fitzy. Apparently, former Ivy Leaguers are very popular these days. It looks like Jason Garrett is going to join the NBC crew, the former Dallas Cowboys coach. Fitzy is going to jump on the Amazon crew, which to this point, it looks like it's uh, Tony Gonzalez... Richard Sherman, Carissa Thompson as the lead, maybe Beast Mode in there. Will Fitzy be good as Amazon really tries to go rogue and get some crazy characters? Okay, just stop everything else you said. <laughs> stop it, Marshawn Lynch. That's it. Like, I here's what I want the pregame show to be: <laughs> a single camera on Marshawn Lynch to talk about whatever he wants for the hour leading up to the show. That is. That is television I would watch. I, that is appointment viewing. You would get me to tune into the pregame show 
if we did that. And no, I'm not saying something like over the top hyperbole, haha. No, I will watch an hour of Marshawn Lynch leading up to the game. So I, look, Gronk's, Gronk would be a great get. Let me ask you another question. Goes back to that, Cofield. Um, what about the personality of Jason Garrett has ever suggested to you that he's going to be a fit on know. television? I don't. What? what? I, I don't. Did, did I, they look at Drew Brees and say, I don't know, not <laughs> stiff enough, and then go for Jason Garrett? I don't want to write people off before they actually get a chance to blossom on TV. I feel like we never got to really see the real Jason Garrett. Jerry Jones is a very domineering figure. He's a very big presence. There could be a Jason make... Garrett underneath the Jason Garrett that we don't know is the real Jason Garrett. Don't you think that he's going to make everybody on the show call him coach? Oh, I hope so. Wouldn't that be best? God, I am so that into that. Awesome. I, that is my okay. new thing. I am so into calling everyone coach, especially as I get older. I just think I think it is the greatest thing ever. You don't go for chief? Boss. Well, is Chief politically correct anymore? No, it's it's not. But what, what about Boss or Hoss for a little Western flair? Hey there, Hoss. What local coach would I call Hoss? Oh, you have to call Marcus Arroyo Hoss. Hey there, Hoss. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'll try it once in the fall. Actually, in August. We get ready for the season. One Hoss, and we'll see how it goes. One hot, but number it has to one. Be on a show. Oh, nope, nope, nope. I, I'm, you know, I love Demond's power trip. Demond's power trip is something we don't get out of Ari. Ari will just kind of sit around waiting and be like, "Do you want me to do the next number?" Demond's like, "You're moving on." Someone's got to control this thing. JT, the brick poll question. JT loves poll questions. He's been sending out a bunch this week. You can hear him at noon on Raider Nation Radio 920, and of course his nighttime show on Sirius XM. Very closely tied to the Raiders, doing pre and post. JT's poll question yesterday, I really enjoyed it. Simply, what is the most important Raiders game of the 2022 season? The options were Raiders-Chargers, week one. That's in L.A. Raiders at Kansas City, week five. Raiders at Rams, week 14. 49ers at Raiders at the very end of the season. My vote was none of the above. None of the above. I think because of where it comes in the season that the home opener against the Cardinals is the most important game of the season because it's sandwiched between two possible road losses and 0-3 start. Not like you can't recover from it, but 0-3, that ain't good. So I think the Cardinals game is actually very key. It might be key, but the most important game is absolutely uh, on the list. It's week one against the Chargers. Really? Uh, that, that, who are you going to be fighting for a playoff spot with? You're going to be fighting with that Chargers team. Nobody expects them to go to Kansas City and win. The other two games are NFC games, and your game is an NFC game. This everything for the Raiders is about this division, right? Like their their path in involves them having to beat the teams in this division when they have the opportunity. And I think if you're going to get the Chargers, you probably got to try to get them a in Week One and b for what should be a home game for you. Going to LA should always be a home game for the Raiders, and I don't care. How excited people are about the Chargers in L.A.? The Rams just won the Super Bowl, so the Chargers are not going to have the L.A. people behind them. They're still number three in L.A. behind the Raiders first and then the Rams. So you've got to go and pick off that game in week one because you're going to be looking back in week 17 when you're battling for the division saying, oh, damn, we should have gotten the Chargers. Damn. It was like I lobbed a softball to you to freaking line drive right in my face. Thank you so much. And 
I opened things up so you could just take the bat and pound the Chargers and their fan base. That was that was sweet. Uh, giveaway time right now. 364 1100 Morrissey, 80s legend, Smith's solo career, playing the Coliseum at Caesars July 1st to the 9th. You can grab your tickets at Ticketmaster.com. We've got a pair right now for Viva Maz Vegas, 364-1100. Caller 7 to see Morrissey at the start of July right here in Vegas at Caesars. I don't know what y'all want me to tell you. That we better than everybody? Top of the backboard, which is inbounds, and Draymond Green pushing. Six assists for Green. Curry along three. It's good! Steph Curry from way downtown! Some Curry chaos here on the third. It's the largest lead of the game. From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling on here on this Tuesday, we're going to talk to... Uh, one of the new UNLV running Rebel assistant coaches, Barrett Peary, in less than 10 minutes. Well, you really shot me down on number one there. That was a dis- freaking destructive conversation. Hurt my confidence. JT the Brick was asking, most important game of the Raiders season, this 2022 campaign, and it was uh, you know four of their biggest road games, and Candy came in with the opener at the Chargers. Okay, I can buy that. I can buy that. I don't think I had a, a, a tremendously strong stance on the Cardinals, but guess what? Uh, if they do lose, well, no, then I guess you'll, your point will be made, right? I'm, I was going to say that week, if they lose to the Chargers, I'll be building up how big the Cardinals game is, but then you can come over the top on me and be like, I told you, the Chargers game was bigger than the Cardinals game. So, Word salad. What am I even saying? You know, sir, if you're going to order something off menu, yes, you need to tell us why you should be able to get the item off menu and and... I just explained to you that what we do well here is Chargers Raiders. It's, it was on JT's menu. I picked from JT's menu. JT knows his Raiders. Don't try to reinvent the menu. Rearrange the menu. Add if to the menu. Ra- if, if, if a man with as much Raiders knowledge as JT has decided these are the four games that could matter the most out of the 17, then I think we should probably give him the benefit of the doubt and work from that menu. Unless... You're prepared to come correct, and you, you did not come. You, you came incorrect. Off the cuff, poll question, only two choices. Who's classier when they win? Clay Thompson or Matt Stafford? I have to answer Clay Thompson only for this reason. <laughs> if I have to watch Matthew Stafford and Lily in the phone store don't, don't do one this. more time don't do this. i'm going to break my television don't do this i cannot stand that commercial anymore I love the that first commercial. time i saw it it was cute the 50th time i saw it it was annoying the 735th time i saw it i am ready to put both of them in the trunk of an old car and drive them out into the desert i cannot yeah. take it anymore clay thompson wins what if you were a lions fan would it change your mind of matt stafford saying nice things not directly about the lions but you know what he meant if you're a Lions fan and that commercial comforts you, then God bless because you have Stockholm syndrome for That's the owners of the have. Lions. That's all like, you have. You're like, oh, oh, you know what? He still I'm likes so us. glad he's happy now. I'm glad that my ex dumped me yeah. and got married next year, and I'm still sitting here eating Dinty Moore out of a can with a plastic spoon. Oh, good reference on the Dinty Moore. Uh, college favorite. Uh, the reason I asked the question, framing it this way, is at the celebration, parade, whatever, you know, up on stage, uh, we saw 
One, Clay Thompson truck a young lady, knock her to the ground yesterday as he was stumbling, probably sauced up a little bit. Matt Stafford watched a woman potentially fall to her death off a 50-foot stage. It wasn't 50 foot. And looked at her and said, I don't want any part of that and walked away. So that was kind of how I was framing it because Clay, after he destroyed the woman, did lean over and try to help her up. To Clay's credit, he kind of tripped. Like, he kind of tripped. He was a little bit toasty. He tripped, and then he gave her a really solid O.J. Anderson stiff arm sure. and then you know, scooped her up off the ground. But, but you could tell she was okay. Clay knew he wasn't getting himself involved in a liability situation, which Matthew Stafford sure as hell knew that the attorneys already said, hey, stay out of this one. Stick around. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Another three-pointer for Hamilton. Give him 21 in the first half. To guard a guy like this, it takes five guys. Yeah, that night it did. That was one of the best games of the season for UNLV and Bryce Hamilton. Unofficially 45. They changed it to 42. I don't know what happened. But at CSU, they couldn't find an answer. That was courtesy of uh, CBS Sports Network. Let's talk a little around Rebel Basketball. Is uh, You know, the offseason never really ends as the portal's always churning now. And the Rebels do have an international trip planned. And the season's closer than you think. And Barrett Peary is one of the new assistant coaches on the staff. And he joins Steve and Adam here on Cofield & Company. Coach, how are you? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Are you in town or are you uh, traveling about? <laughs> I'm in town right now. It is recruiting season off and on, pending on the day, but I'm in town right now. Yeah. When you say recruiting season, is it recruiting for this roster or for the future, or a little of both? You know, a little of both. I think we're looking more future right now. We're getting pretty close to being done with this roster, and, and I think you'll probably hear some news sooner than later that we might get one more guy here in the near future, mm-hmm. and then uh, I think our roster will be pretty set, uh, but there's a lot of events going on right now for the future. We were we were out and about last weekend, and then there's another open period this weekend where we can be out. So, seeing a lot of young guys. Could you ever imagine, after all your time in college basketball, that uh, we're at what almost the beginning of July, and you know you're still looking around for players and opportunities? It's pretty crazy what the portal has done. No, I could have never imagined it. You know, last year at this time, even in late June and July 1st was looming, and I was at Texas Tech, I don't think any of us really believed that the the whole NIL thing was going to happen and the portal thing. We were still just kind of going, really, what happened? Never mind the fact we were recovering from the fact that they gave all the kids an extra year with COVID. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, like like you guys, everybody's still trying to figure out, now how many years does he have left with the COVID year and, and different things like that, but never imagined anything like this. So often we get in conversations with people, you know, that you know want, want it to be like the old days and have guys sitting on rosters for three or four or five years, and that's just going to be few and far between. It doesn't matter where you are. So where are you on this? Do you, do you freaking hate it? You know, are you adjusted to it? You, you kind of embrace it now? I'm adjusted, I'm embracing, um, but I'm more of a traditionalist. I would love to have it more like the old days where you see guys come and grow in a program and, you know, maybe redshirt and come off the bench and then become starters and grow and, and get better and better within a program and people fall in love with a player and, and see him play for three or four or five years. 
Um, like I said just a second ago, I, I think those days are kind of gone, and I don't know how we'll ever recapture them. I, I think that coaches would like it to be more like that, but uh, you know, like you said when we started the show, constantly recruiting. It doesn't matter whether it's for the future or for the now. Um, uh, there's always something to be doing with recruiting because of how it's set up. So how does that change who you target, whether it's in the portal or whether it's recruiting traditionally out of high school? Because I would imagine in the past you could probably look at a guy and say, hey, you know what, year one, maybe year two, we're going to have to work with him a little bit, kind of bring him along, get him ready for, you know, by the time maybe he's a junior, he's really ready to pop. Like It, it seems like the option to do that just isn't there anymore. It is not there. You know, you painted a pretty good picture right there of what that conversation looks like. And then at the end of that, when you finish that last sentence, you add one more sentence and say, and yeah, if he doesn't play for the first year or two, he's leaving anyway. So I I think it's really hard to say, hey, let's get him here. Let's get him stronger. Let's get him bigger. Let's let him sit on the bench. Let's let's redshirt him. Shoot, you know, nine times out of ten, guys are just leaving, going somewhere new. And so I think you have to think outside the box. I think you have to think, you know, constantly recruiting and touching guys that even guys that maybe you can't get now, but you might get in a year or two because uh, it didn't work out at at the other school, you know. And so uh, it's constant all the time. Talking to UNLV basketball, Cofield and Company, Barrett Peary, one of the new assistants is on with us. Uh, we could do this part of the conversation for probably 20 minutes or so, but I think we need to be succinct. I, I want you to talk about your journey to get here to Vegas. You've coached at a lot of spots. You know, I have. It's interesting. I remember when I started coaching, like, I don't know, 26, 27 years ago, I used to, you know, when, when teams used to send out when everything was paper and not digital, pe- people would send out their, uh, their uh, what do you call it? What was the roster book called? The uh, media guide. They would sure. send out their media guide, yeah. and you'd thumb through it and see these coaches that had been at <laughs> several places, and I, I would literally look at it you know, as a young, brand-new coach at 23, 24 years old and be like, man, I wonder what's wrong with that guy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, so now I'm that guy. What's wrong with that guy? Yeah. Now, we, we've, we've had some great opportunities and great spots and great experiences at a lot of places, and we've been some really neat places as a head coach and as an assistant coach and, and gotten to work at some some you know really high levels with great people and met so many great people so we're thankful for our experiences you know even even coming here this was kind of unexpected um things were were really good at texas tech we had a fantastic year but i'm I'm more of a west coast guy and this is more my wheelhouse And so when i had this opportunity to talk to kevin and, and then you know his father got involved with it we, we go back a ways and and an opportunity to get back on the west coast and you know, I grew up in Payson, Utah, straight up I-15 from here, and UNLV for me was still a great target spot, a place that I would always love to be, very comfortable with it, and our brand is still UNLV. Our brand is still a great brand, and so I, I really believe that what Kevin has going on here and what we can become and where we're at in 2022 with what we talked about earlier with transferring and, and guys going to second and third spot. I think UNLV is a great destination place for all those things. You were at Utah uh, going back, what, about 14 years. Um, when you look around yeah. the conference, your familiarity with the Mountain West Conference now, how much has it changed? Sure. Well, there's some, different, there's some different teams, but, you know, the, 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 the old standbys, the, the, the pillars of the league are still here, and so it'll be fun to get back to go to those places like San Diego State and, and New Mexico and Wyoming and Colorado State and 
obviously all those teams have done a great job over the years and and had good seasons even recently, so it'll be fun. So I've asked everyone uh, who's on the staff this question, including Coach Kruger, and we're talking about Barry Perry, one of the new assistants for UNLV. Uh, you mentioned the pillars. So San Diego State has been a pillar of the conference now, you know, since Fisher was there, uh, now on to the, the new regime, and the team is built the same way every year. It's, it's mostly about defense. It's going to be pretty rough and tumble. They're going to have a rim protector how careful do you have to be when you build a program to beat San Diego State? They're not building it the same exact way San Diego State does. Because I, I thought last year the conference was excellent, but, man, it was a really rough-and-tumble conference. Yeah, and I think you'll see us be pretty rough-and-tumble. You know, I think Kevin, after year one, has made some decisions about how he thinks he he wants it to look and how he wants us to play. And, you know, I think as you look at our roster and maybe see another piece or two, I think you're going to be see big, strong, medium-sized guys that are very switchable, interchangeable parts um, that have great experience. And I think you'll see us be even a more rough-and-tumble team and a team that is uh, very defensive-oriented and, and try to smack you in the mouth and then go down and score at the other end. So what do you say to people when they look at the team? I mean, you know, we played some Bryce Hamilton Cuts coming back there, and the you know the guy averaged twenty three and a half points a game in conference. He was freaking awesome. When people look at the roster and they're like, "Hey, where's the scoring coming from?" You know, I think that the scoring will happen. I, you know, Bryce was a great blessing and, and really a, a good piece to UNLV for a long time, and I think we'll miss him. But as you guys know, I think you get caught watching a guy like Bryce a lot, so I think you'll see a little bit more balance. Um, I think the talent that's been brought in this spring, you know. Parkless from Oklahoma, Parquet from Colorado, Luis from Old Miss, uh, Cottrell from uh, West Virginia, all these guys. I think everybody has great experience, never mind the guys that are here. You know, we got guys like Vic and Keyshawn and Jordan. I think you're going to see a really nice blend of guys that have a lot of experience and, and understand how to play, but also fit what we want to do at the defensive end. And I think, I think you're going to see Kevin a lot more comfortable in his own skin as he's allowed to build the roster exactly how he wants it. For you and your coaching resume, your experience, what is more helpful now? Uh, prior experience as a head coach at Portland State or being a JUCO head coach? Uh, you know, it's funny. The, the JUCO part of it is, is really beneficial because yeah. you have to uh, you have to be comfortable with the fact that you might only coach a guy a year or two. Yeah. And that's what junior college is all about. But at the same time, you know, my head coaching experience at Portland State at the Division One level was great for me and, and really helped me. I think what I can bring to Kevin is just a simple fact that my experience will be good, but also understanding what he goes through on a day-to-day basis as a, as a head coach and how he feels and what's going on in his brain um, that you don't really understand when you're an assistant and have never been a head coach. Another one with your, your background at Texas Tech, and you know, it was a short stay, but what did you see there? Uh, I want you to tell the Vegas audience you know, what, what Texas Tech has done you know, the last, whatever, five, six years to kind of, I'm going to put it strongly, you know, rise from the ashes. But, I mean, the level they've reached now is pretty incredible from where, you know, Beard and Adam started. So what what works so well there that can actually apply to Vegas? Because, I ever, well, we, we had Beard for like two weeks, so we would have loved to have yeah, that whole experience. Yeah. <laughs> but like, what works so well there that can be applied to UNLV? Well, I think the, demanding, the demands that they have at the defensive end are key. I think Kevin wants to have that, and he's committed to that. 
I think, you know, when we were talking about building our roster um, and some similarities to Texas Tech, I think that's what we've done here, getting those medium-sized guys that are very switchable, interchangeable parts, guys that can guard one through five, and you'd be able to have an opportunity and having the ability to be flexible at the defensive end and not be stuck on islands with guys that can't do what you want to do. I, I think that, that, that Kevin's probably most excited about that, just the fact that he's got pieces that he feels like he can really use at that defensive end to create offensive opportunities, and I think we've built the roster that way and are, con- are going to continue to do that. Coach, we appreciate a couple minutes. Nice meeting you, and we'll, uh, we'll see you out on the recruiting trail at some point this summer. Anytime. Appreciate you. There he is, Barrett Peary. I don't know where I'm going to see him on the recruiting trail. That was one of those lines I just threw out there. and Because I was thinking to myself, I'm like, high school basketball used to be so gigantic here for AAU. And I'm like, yeah, they kind of cut down on the schedule. So maybe I won't see you. Oops. Man about town Steve Cofield will run into you somewhere. It might not I, be at a high school gym, but I, he's going to find you eventually. I, you know what? Dump that Dump that whole minute. Uh, get the coach back on. Let me get do a better goodbye. Coach, we'll see you out at the Summer League. They're in your building. Okay, that was better. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, Candy, following up on uh, what the UNOV assistant Barrett Peary was saying about offense, what do you think? I know this has been a hot topic on the morning show where it's always very positive when it comes to UNLV sports. It is a legit concern looking at the roster, who is going to step up and become the scorer, especially with Donovan Williams going to the draft. And by the way, Donovan Williams, oh boy, uh, I saw him ranked on a couple of big boards, 99th and 73rd. So I hope he jumps higher than that and actually gets drafted. My take on UNLV and the scoring is that there is a little bit of how you always look at fantasy baseball and like someone's going to hit cleanup for the pirates and they're probably going to get some RBIs, right? Because eventually someone hits the ball. Uh, Someone's got to shoot it and someone's going to score. But I don't think you look at this team as they're currently constructed and say that they have the obvious answer where it's like, Oh, this guy's a highly efficient scorer who just needs a little more opportunity. They're hoping it's going to be Harkless and and great. I, I hope it is too. But I don't think that you look at it the same way you have for the last couple of years where it's like you know what Bryce Hamilton's talent was. It was just a matter of could he become a more efficient scorer. Right. Now, the flip side of that is, as the assistant coach Barrett Peary was saying, um, I think this is the way Kevin Kruger wants to build his roster. Um, And I, I, I hope everyone understood what I was suggesting there, right? That when you go against a school like San Diego State, like, you want to beat San Diego State, and the way to do that is to get freaking big and strong and interchangeable and be able to scrap with them. So I think they've done a good job evening up things on that front. Now, the problem is you've got a league with top teams that not only can defend, but they also do have scores. And while Matt Bradley's not the most efficient scorer for San Diego State, they added the little point guard, uh, Trammell, from Seattle out of uh, you know Northern California, he can score a little bit. They've they've got scoring, and it'll be interesting to see who steps up. But I, I can only I can only imagine um, how frustrating it was for the staff last year when, as the season went along, you couldn't have your you know, your bigs couldn't stay healthy, 
And they had, you know, they had the seven footer Hampshire where I think they were going to play, who knows, even if it was like eight or 10 minutes a game at seven feet tall, they lost him. Um, it just would have been another weapon out there. There were so many games where they were undersized. Like the, the, I, one of the games I remember, the game at Boise, I'm just like, they're just too freaking small. They're just getting knocked around by these guys. Well, two things. One, I, you know as well as anybody following the team every game, the Donovan Williams injury during conference season was yeah. really maybe the turning point of the season for UNLV. If you could have had him healthy yep. all the way through and had two real scorers at their peak going into the Mountain West tournament, who knows what happens. But to the point that Coach Barrett Peary just brought up, he said, well, we're going to be a little more rough and tumble. And what I like about that thought is zig when everyone else zags. It's not necessarily the same as what everyone is doing. Yeah, it's what we've seen San Diego State do, but that's not the AAU game, right? Like That's not what we see out there. We don't see teams that are trying to play fullback basketball. But maybe <laughs> UNLV needs to be able to go out there and win some 59-57 kind of games in order to compete in the Mountain West because they don't have that scoring firepower. And they should be able to get downhill. And they should be able to fill lanes on the break because they do have a lot of dudes who are between you know 6'3 and 6'7 who are athletic, so... I think it'll be exciting to see. And now I'm really curious. You know, uh, Peary was just saying they'll have hopefully an announcement in the next couple of weeks of maybe one more addition. I don't know if that'll be a portal player. I'm not sure. I thought your part of the conversation was also fascinating because if I'm running a basketball program now, like I, I see um, the kids tweet out and people who really follow high school recruiting. Like I see all the tweets about who UNLV is offering, right? And they're they're really – they're, they're busting their hump in Southern California. They're still really big on recruiting in Texas. Like, I don't, I don't know how excited to get about it because I'm not really sure right now how the hell you build a program because you guys got into the part of the conversation where you're like, you bring a kid in. Like, they got this kid, Keyshawn Hall, who, you know, we'll, we'll see what he looks like up close, 6'7", 235. And, and that's the kind of guy you're like, okay, you know, give him a couple of years. Like, there's no couple of years anymore with freshmen. Like, everyone's freaking out. Everyone wants to play right away, and no one's got patience. Because they have options, right? They, they know they can go somewhere else and find playing time. I mean, look at the David Jenkins situation I mean, that, that UNLV is, went through. That is crazy. Right? Yep. It, the guy just keeps showing up other places because everyone looks at a season three years ago when he scored 20 a game for, for South Dakota State when we haven't seen that David Jenkins for a while. So, but because of the way the rosters are set up now, you're going to take a chance on a guy who you've seen perform because it's instant. If he hits it, it's instant. Yeah. You can't go out and recruit a kid with maybe some slow feet who's six foot seven, but you think he's a good project. That doesn't happen anymore. Bryce Hamilton doesn't stay at UNLV as long as Bryce Hamilton stayed at UNLV if the transfer portal was what it was sooner. Yeah. You saw where Jenkins landed, right, for his last year? I did, yeah. The, the Big Ten's going to be an interesting landing spot. Purdue. Yep. So he's gone from South Dakota State to UNLV to Utah. And don't get me wrong in this, because I, I like David Jenkins. I think he's going to have a you know some kind of pro career somewhere. I actually think he's going to be a broadcaster or somewhere in the media. He's a really nice kid, so I'm not trying to crush him here. But as the year went along at Utah in the Pac-12, because that was an upgrade, he didn't play. Because his shooting wasn't consistent, and he has a tough time defending at six foot tall, all the big guards, and now he's going to the Big Ten, which may, maybe he'll he'll be a shooting specialist and be a, a guy who comes off the bench and is a stud and shoots forty five percent and averages nine points a game, and I'll be crying in my beer when my school plays you know Purdue twice and he scores fifty two points against them. Uh, but 
that's where we are now where coaches look around and they're like, all right, does the person have a usable skill or two? So we got him for a year. Okay, let's bring him in. It's, it's, uh, I know we keep going on about this, but it is an amazing time. And it, it, there's, so much, there's so much more of a challenge on coaches now to try to build a roster year to year that works. Well, they're not coaches as much. They're general managers, right? They're GMs now. This is like a GM looking at a roster and saying, can I bring in a guy on a one-year or two-year contract who fills out what we need? Because you're not going to have time to do the skill development thing. Yeah, maybe you can look at a guy and be like, ah, God, you know what? I see a little hitch in his shot. I think we could probably fix that. That's why the guy was shooting 35% last year. That's the sort of thing you might be able to do. But you can't look at a guy and say, oh, yeah, we got time to bring him along. Candy, great job today. Damon, thanks for running the show. Steve Cofield, we're out of here. Aces basketball is on the way in just a little bit.